630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6:30, Chad. Good to have you along for the ride this evening. Thanks a lot for tuning in. One week from tomorrow. Live coverage of the first round of the NHL draft in Buffalo. We will actually sign on at 4 in the afternoon. The Oilers slated to draft fourth overall. Going to be a busy weekend next weekend. We'll have the first round of the draft Friday night. We'll have the uh, rounds 2 through 7 of the draft next Saturday morning. And uh, then next Saturday, the Eskimos season and home opener against the Ottawa Red Blacks. Of course, the Eskimos getting ready to face the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in a preseason game. That is on Saturday at the Brick Field at Commonwealth Stadium. It's on Ched, 12.30 pregame show, 2 o'clock for the kickoff. And proud to tell you that Blake Dermott, former Edmonton Eskimo, is back as part of our broadcast team here on 6.30 Ched, which means, Blake, you get another summer of spending inside sports with me, buddy. I do, Reed. You know, and there's... Uh... There's so many things I look forward to, uh, and and this could be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it could be, yeah. That's great. <laughs> how was uh, how was uh, how was your off season? You keep busy. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, you know, uh, I, I think the the Edmonton sports scene keeps you fairly busy, and uh, you know, there's always something going on, and always something to pay attention to, and and uh, certainly this off season had some excitement surrounding the Eskimos. Yeah, well, it, it, it really did. And, and I mean, it, from, uh, from the perspective of, of a former player, I always, I always love to, to get your perspective for that one. I mean, you win the championship. What are you thinking when your entire coaching staff is gone? I mean, you're rolling into camp as the, as the defending Great Cup champions, yet the guys who were designing the plays and making the calls aren't back. What would that be like for, uh, for a player? Well, you know, that's that. I don't know if there's anybody that's ever gone through that before. You know, you you win a championship. A lot of times, you know, the, those groups are locked up for a long period of time, or at least you know a, a few years. Uh, the only thing that was even closest uh, in 1990, we went to the Grey Cup and they fired the head co- our head coach Joe Faragelli in the off season and uh, and brought in Ron Lancaster, which then brought in a little bit. There were some new people that were brought in, and that was a little bit surprising. You know, make it all the way to the Grey Cup, you don't typically see that kind of turnover but very very unusual and from a player standpoint i I can i can you know i mean it's professional and and you're used to to odd things and strange things happening but i can believe that there's an awful lot of people that might feel like they were betrayed a little bit even though you know they try to keep maintain that professional attitude but inside you 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 know and they just run away from your all these group that you're you know you're you build a bond i mean Chris Jones's locker room was so tight and sequestered from everything else that there was a real bond and, and togetherness there. And then all of a sudden, he just is gone, poof, and, they, and it's like a magician. And uh, I can see how some players might might be a little bit upset by that. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm sure, that, but you're right. P- publicly, and I've had guys uh, I've interviewed in the off season. I had guys in studio after it happened. And, and they've emphasized a lot of the players are back. A lot of the key players are back. And I wonder if it helps, too, is that they look at the new head coach and, and say, oh, this guy played here, and he's the guy that was a big part of the team we played against in the Grey Cup last year. I mean, it, so I, I, I mean, you hope it helps that Jason Moss brings some credibility to the locker room when he stepped in there. 
Well, I think more than anything, uh, the fact that he played here, I mean, because you know, Jason's age, uh, some of these guys would have been just going into junior high, probably most of them, when he played here. So, so that historical part probably doesn't mean as much, but the respect that he would have gained, uh, you know, co- being the offensive coordinator of the team that you played in the, in the Grey Cup and knowing that how difficult that team was to play against and, and how, how hard that game was to win, I think he brings with it some credibility and some respect already into the locker room. And, uh, and you know, just talking with players and, and being around and listening to the reports from TV, radio, and everything, and it, that they were they're very happy with the, the transition that this coaching staff uh, has brought to, the, to all the things that happened in the offseason. And the message that they've brought is very positive, and I, I think the players are buying into it really early. And, and as you mentioned, most of the players did stay. And uh, so they, they, they know they've got a really good nucleus. And it's not like it's an old nucleus either. This is a, this is a, a, a good group of, of uh, layers of, of players with age and experience. And, uh, you know, I think they're set uh, to have another really good season. Blake Dermott joining us inside sports on 630 Chet. You're a two-time Grey Cup champion. You won in 1987. You won in 1993. When you went to training camp the following spring, was it different? Did anything feel different? Was there complacency? Was there a hunger to repeat? Because those are all you know different teams talk about it in different ways. Were the training camps after the Grey Cup seasons different for you? No, I, I mean every everyone. I got older, so everyone you had to work harder. You know, it seemed in the off season and and you, in in the in the years that I played, I think we were in something like nine or ten Western finals. So you had the same goal every year. You wanted to get there. I don't think anything changed. And when I played, you know, we went to five great cups, so we had a target on our back every year, and we kind of liked that. And so you knew that you had to, you had to show up in shape because there's always going to be someone trying to take your job. And, and winning one great cup made you hungry to, hungry to win more and get there. And uh, so I, I, didn't, I didn't see – I don't remember a, a noticeable difference other than you got your rings sometime in training camp, and that was exciting. <laughs> But you have, as far as the preparation and, and the attitude coming in, uh, I, I don't think I, I ever noticed that. Do you ever wear your Grey Cup rings? Yeah, I don't wear I, I don't wear them as much as I used to, um, but I, I I I do wear them. And and the funny thing is, is that the 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 '87 Grey Cup ring was one of the biggest rings I think at the time. It might have been the biggest ring that uh, was uh, was built. And, and now, God, it looks like a pinky ring to the guys got now. It's almost embarrassing. Well, I think the one the, the the Broncos got almost take up an entire finger. And football players generally have pretty big hands. So yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> the, the rings. The size of the rings that the guys have now are just unbelievable. I I would love to have had one. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I. I, I coached at a high school in Sherwood Park. We won the provincial championship in 2007, high school provincial championship. Their provincial championship rings were bigger than my 1993 Great Cup rings. <laughs> I don't think the championship rings nowadays, though, are practical to wear. Like, I think they, they were just weighed. You couldn't even lift your hand. You know, they, they never were practical. <laughs> that isn't what it's about. <laughs> right. so, if you have to wear a sling to wear the thing, it's still okay. <laughs> Blake Turret joining us inside Sports on 630. By the way, the NBA game uh, is underway. Uh, they're in the first minute. Nobody's scored yet. Golden State and uh, and Cleveland. Um, it's it's interesting going through training camp here, Blake. And and the one one of the stories I've been talking about is is the secondary because John Ojo, who you know I thought he was great last year, is out for the season. 
Otha Foster's gone to Saskatchewan. He helped in kind of that nickelback role. Um, Pat Watkins has been banged up. Muamba has been banged up. Marcel Young, who, uh, if you listen to the show, I've never been a huge fan of him, but but he's been banged up a little bit. Um, somebody is, is going to rise up and take those starting roles. Um, it's going to be somebody that we don't know about until we see him for two or three games, like a John Ojo last year. And there's a new defensive coordinator. So I'm wondering, is, is this going to be a defense that doesn't blitz as much? It seems like it. Probably, in my mind, Blake, partially because of Benavides' philosophy and partially because you wonder if he's going to try and protect some of the new guys in the secondary once we get into real games. Well, I think the rule changes that were brought in last year with the you know, contact on the receivers um, changed the way teams played a little bit anyways. I don't know if, if you probably looked at uh, the average amount of times that a team played a zone coverage as opposed to a man coverage, there was probably an increase. It may have been small, but it was an increase in the amount of zone coverage because in, in playing man coverage, that means you're blitzing guys. You want your defensive backs to be tight up on the receivers and probably you know bumping them and running with them. But with the rules brought in about the contact, it was real difficult for guys to play that way. Uh, it was an adjustment for some of them. So I, I think you're right, though. I think the defensive backfield the Eskimos have with, with going into this, this second preseason game and potentially going into the start of the season – they only have one of the same one guy that uh, started for them in the Great Cup last year, and that is Pat Watkins, because uh, we forgot Aaron Grimes is gone as well. Oh right, yeah, I even forgot to mention him. Yeah, yeah. So, and with Marcel Young, uh, uh, I don't think he's going to be playing this game. There's really only one guy that played there last year that is in that position. Now, you've got uh, with Coach Mwama being out. Uh, Neil King has started in a Great Cup game for Hamilton, uh, so uh, Neil steps into the safety position. I don't think they lose as much in that in that position. And then uh, Solomon Means has uh, looked pretty good. There's been some other guys that have stepped up and, and filled those positions at the defensive backfield. But, but that's certainly going to be an area where uh, everybody's going to be watching. All right. The, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are coming into town tomorrow. A lot of times in the preseason, teams don't come in until the day of the game. They're, they're coming in the day before. Chris Jones is going to do the whole meet the media thing. I'm coming back to Edmonton, and he's going to try to get all that out of the way uh, before a game that obviously doesn't uh, it, it doesn't count in count in the standings. So you know, it's, I, I saw some uh, a, a radio host in Regina putting on Twitter today. Do you think Chris Jones is going to be booed at the game on Saturday? I mean, I don't know. Uh, I know fans that week. Uh, most Eskimos fans weren't happy. Uh, we discussed the whole compensation thing to death, but some people said, well, he's, he's bad for doing it, he's a jerk, and some people said, well, you know, it'd be nice if he stayed, but I understand the opportunity to get a better job. I, I, I think the fans are going to be respectful. He's not out there um, playing the game, but I, I just love the fact, Blake, if it needed any more, it just f- pours more fuel on the fire of the of the rivalry that is Edmonton versus Saskatchewan. And let's face it, the Riders are both the most popular team in the CFL and the most hated team in the CFL, depending on where you live. Yeah, well, I, I think two things. I think the fact that Chris Jones is coming in a day early. Um, this, and you, you mentioned that he's, he's having the press conference, meet the press, all the stuff. Get all the questions out of the way so that any kind of distraction once the season starts has hopefully been taken away in the preseason. I think that's, you know, one of the things we saw over the last two years is that Chris Jones doesn't do anything at a whim. I think a lot of the things are very, very calculated, and I think this is a calculated move to try to take pressure off and, and deflect and, uh, 
any any other thing from his team in in the regular season. I think it's a smart move. Uh, will the fans boo? Um, will the fans boo uh, uh, this, him as a head coach? Of course they will. They're Edmonton fans. Uh, I think they they will boo him. Uh, that's no different. They would have booed Gainer the Gopher for God's sakes. I think uh, I think that the, the, the Edmonton fans will probably react um, the way home fans typically do. But you know, normally it's it's directed towards the team and, and the logo. Uh, but I think there will be some recognition of Edmonton fans of Chris Jones. Now, understanding that we, we, we know why he left. I mean, it was a fantastic opportunity for him. Probably everybody that boos him would have done the same thing. When you think about the amount of money that he went from what he would have been offered here to what he got there could potentially have been two to $300,000 more. I think we all would have made that decision. So I, I'm not upset with him that he made it. The optics of the, what he did didn't look good to Joe Fan, but, but I think the reality is it was a smart career move for him, and, and, uh, and fans will boo, and let's get on with it. All right. Blake, I'm glad we're going to be doing this throughout the season. Love having you on the show. Uh, we'll be talking next week, of course, and, uh, yeah, I'll see, you, I'll see you at the Brick Field at Commonwealth Stadium on Saturday afternoon, man. Okay, Reed. We'll see you then. Great stuff from Blake Dermott, our Eskimos analyst here on uh, 630 Chad. Well, the thing is, Gainer the Gopher deserves to be booed. You can't debate that. Chris Jones, maybe you can debate. 718 Inside Sports on Chad. This is Oscar Kleffbaum from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Shad. Well, this is interesting. The score in the NBA game, game six of the finals, is 6 nothing for Cleveland, four minutes in. Golden State yet to score a point as uh, Steph Curry misses a long-range shot. They're on pace to be shut out, Matthew Podashik. Has anybody in the NBA ever been shut? I doubt that. <laughs> I, don't I doubt so, that. Not unless a game was called after two minutes. <laughs> Why don't you Google lowest scoring NBA? You could probably find some pretty low scores before the shot clock. Good point. But I'll look. Yeah. Here's the question. Has any, has any team ever been shut out in a quarter in the NBA Finals? Even even that would be pretty unlikely, I would think. It's 722 Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Thanks to our Eskimos analyst, Blake Dermott, for coming on tonight. Uh, we'll get back to a little more hockey talk later on. This is going to be cool. Carter Hart is going to join us. He's the CHL Goalie of the Year, best in all of Major Junior. Plays for the Everett Silvertips, and he is from Sherwood Park. Looking forward to get to know him. Hey, Chris from Phoenix has called in tonight. Chris, old boy, hey, what's, what's going up? on? Nothing. Hey, uh, before I get to my comment, I, I just want to uh, warn my uh, and uh, have my uh, Edmontonian friends uh, keep an eye out. Uh, I'm issuing a silver alert. Uh, we are missing uh, our GM of the Edmonton Oilers, Peter Shirelli. If, uh, if anybody spots them and sees them, please call uh, Edmonton Police Services uh, right away, please. No, I'm just joking. No, you're panicking. No, you're one of those guys we were talking about. You're panicking because he didn't acquire the rights to a UFA. So already you're in no, no. panic mode, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually trying to be funny, but uh, I, I can understand why uh, people do panic because, uh, you know, it's, it's been 10 years, Reed. Like, uh, you know, we've been striking out uh, quite often uh, in the past, and then we start the season, and there's always our, our cliche excuse as well. We tried, and we didn't. But anyway, 
did was rescind his trade request he doesn't have a no move clause right he doesn't have it so if the new york you're right if the new york islanders say oh well okay we don't want to go through this again or maybe there is an issue all, all he's said is like hey i don't i i'm not asking for a trade anymore the islanders could still go back to him and say well okay that's nice but we just traded you right so maybe you know, exactly. may, maybe hammock's still a possibility i'll give you that for sure well, and I, and I would like that. And I don't think uh, all. I think Brandon Ulrich said something about uh, the second tier and third tier. No, I don't want third. No, tier. we can't go down to third. He's got to be at least no, a third. solid middle pairing guy. And 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 Hamannick to me isn't. He's kind of like a in between between a first tier and a second tier because he's a he's a a minute munching defenseman that's that's on the top pair uh, out out east. So he might it might not be a top pairing defenseman out west because the west a little different. But he is a solid, a solid number three between a number two and a three. I'd say, could be wrong. Um, so I don't know. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I can't wait till uh, till next week to see what's going to happen. Yeah, you you've been and, going nuts, haven't you? Like I've I've been sense you're going a little crazy out there. I, I I'm I yeah I am. You know I, I go golfing every now and then, but it's you know when when the Oilers when Oilers hockey is pretty much the only sport that you really like and the only sport that you you really follow. <laughs> um, you know, you kind of want to. I want to be a fly on the wall. I want to be, you know, just just for a day, just for two days. You know, just you know. But uh, that's all I have. And uh, all right, Chris. Hopefully, this time next week we have some positive and uh, great show. Let's go, Oilers. Okay, see you, Chris. That's Chris from Phoenix checking in. Always love when uh, when he calls. Brings a lot of energy and passion to the show. It's seven twenty-seven. Four minutes left in the first quarter. Cleveland leading Golden State twenty. Nine as they try to force a Game 7 Sunday night back in Oakland. The Blue Jays 9-0 over the Phillies. They're in the seventh inning. Jay Happ is on the hill. He's allowed only two hits and two walks. He struck out five. Encarnacion, a homer and four RBIs tonight. He's up to 61 on the season. Uh, Saunders has gone deep. Pilar has gone deep as well. The uh, Blue Jays taking it to the lowly Philadelphia Phillies. All right. 
Still ahead, a little more uh, draft talk with Dennis McKinnis. He's the director of scouting with International Scouting Service. We will continue our Father's Day segments next. Brent, Craig, and Mark Corti, all with connections to the U of A football team. This is a pretty cool story. It's coming up after the 7.30 news. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Well, this is interesting. Two minutes left in the first quarter. Cleveland leading Golden State 26-9. This is like when I used to do play-by-play for the U of A Pandas playing the Brandon Bobcats. There, I, believe, I, I believe one year I did a game. Okay, well, first of all, for some context here, this is Canada West Women's Basketball. I believe Brandon had a, a five-year stretch where they won eight games total and I think had two or three winless seasons in there. And there was one game I did in that run. Uh, it was 32 nothing for the Pandas after the first quarter. I kid you not. They shut them out and scored 32. This is approaching that. Cleveland's just running all over them. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. The Blue Jays are uh, still up 9-0 on the Phillies. That is in the 7th. Okay, Father's Day is on Sunday. Don't forget to get your dad something nice or spend some time with him or whatever. Uh, I got my dad a little gift today, but he's listening, so I'm not going to tell him what it is. But we've been doing Father's Day-themed segments all week on Inside Sports, and this is going to be another cool one tonight. We have not one... Not two, but three guests in studio. I will start by introducing the dad, Brent Corty. How are you doing? I'm doing well. All right. Uh, did I say that right? K-O-R-T-E? Yeah, Corty. Corty. That's Corty. All right. I want to get lazy with it. Um, you are a defensive line coach with the U of A Golden Bears football team. Yeah, I've been. This was my first year uh, coaching with Coach Morris. All right. And when did you play for the U of A Golden Bears? I played in the late 80s, from 85 to 89. So... Yeah, a few years ago. Okay, so back coaching at the school you once graced the quad and ruled over Hub Mall and all that fun and stuff. Rat and the whole bit. Yeah. Rat, yeah. <laughs> I was U of Power A. Plant, yeah. Yeah, I was U of A ninety one to ninety five, and I think in my third year I probably kept Academy Pizza in business in Hub Mall. The little <laughs> individual pizzas at a pop. Loved them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I loved them. <laughs> it's like four bucks or something. All right, along with Brent is our his two sons. We will start with Craig. Craig, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, you are, uh, are, are you just wrapped up your U of A career in the fall? Yeah, I just finished my fourth year with the Bears. And, uh, yeah, 14 years of football in total, though, so I've been playing the game a while. Okay, so you're, what, 22? 22, yeah. So you started when you were eight. Yes. Now, see, that's an interesting story because the, 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 one of the knocks against developing Canadian football players is that some guys – don't start playing till grade nine, grade ten. What program did you get into at such a young age? Uh, I played out in Spruce Grove, where I'm from, with the Spruce Grove Cougars. Me and my brother both started out there, and uh, yeah, it was a great program. And it was—it's kind of a unique situation where you have a minor football program that builds players into one high school football program. In the city, you have situations where you have only a few minor programs into—you know—I don't know how many teams there are in the city of Edmonton, but there's tons. Spruce Grove, we're lucky. We feed into one one high school team, so 
uh, you know, that's really an advantage for and, us. And I know the Spruce Grove High School team, I, I want to say five or six years, maybe my timing is off, but it's been pretty good. So uh, yeah, that's an interesting point bringing up. Spruce Grove is just big enough to have a lot of good athletes, but just small enough that they can all move on and play for the same high school as opposed to sharing the wealth, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it's translated to success yeah. quite a bit in the last uh, in the last few years. Okay, so you played four years as a linebacker, and we have your brother Mark here uh, uh, as well. And you're an offensive lineman? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, and how many years have you played? Uh, I've played two now, and then the fall will be my third year. Okay, so you're going into your third year. All right, well, this is great. So we got a couple of generations of, 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 of U of A football and uh, some different experiences as well. Now, Craig and Mark, we know you've been part of a team that hasn't won a lot but has been doing better the last couple of years with Coach Morris trying to turn things around. Brent, how, how were the teams that you played on? Uh, well, we were we were up and down. Uh, the years, uh, th- actually, the, the guys have asked me that quite a bit, given the, the, the success of the team. But we were, uh, I had um, a couple of years that we were 5-3, and three, and two of the years we were 1-7. and seven. Okay. So, so it, you, was, it was literally you experienced up and down. both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what's it been like uh, for you guys? I, I mean, um, well, I, I guess especially Craig, you you would have been there for probably one or two of the 0 8s. Two of them, yeah. Two one of the under 0 8s. Coach Stead and one under Coach Morris. Yeah. And then uh, what was last year? Three wins or two wins? Uh, we were three. We were two last year, three in uh, 2014. Three in 2014. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, but I think uh, I, guys talk a little more positively about the last couple of years. But what's it like? you know going through some of those those tough seasons and and seeing where you want to get to and then the teams you want to beat but but you're just not quite there yet well i know for us it was a huge it was a major overhaul after kind of after my first year when coach morris came in and you know we got into you know it was just it was putting in a lot of work it was changing a lot of things and kind of redeveloping a football culture redefining football culture which is what we needed to do and that's still what's kind of in the process it still hasn't as you you know three and five two and six we it hasn't fully come to fruition yet but it's on the right track and i think we're heading in the right direction well mark you're a you're a recruit under under coach morris so what what is the u of a football culture with chris as the coach um you know i think it's been built around a lot of hard work and integrity really is it's uh it's about being able to be counted on and being able to work hard in any situation really and that's that's what coach morris has built it on and i think as kind of the younger guys that he's brought in get older that's kind of becoming our team uh our team motto all right uh if you're just joining us we are in studio here with brent corty and his sons craig and mark all with uh, connections to the u of a football team now brent uh how you're the defensive line coach so you weren't too involved with your own sons at practice then how did that Uh, work yeah at practice uh this last year, no, I was uh, I was with the D line, totally so we were off doing yeah. our own thing. The the odd time when, even though Craig was a linebacker, so you know the D line and linebacker do things together. But uh, I've actually I've coached these guys since they were little in multiple sports, and I found a way to kind of keep my well, they might answer it differently, <laughs> but kind of you know keep to uh, to my area that I'm coaching and and focused on, and I don't deal with them uh, directly. Although that wouldn't wouldn't be a problem, but it. Uh, I don't deal with them directly. Did you ever, when when they were younger, did you ever find it hard to coach your own sons, or wonder, oh my, wondering, oh, are other parents going to perceive that I'm being too hard or too easy on my own kid, or anything like that? Yeah, I wasn't too, uh, I wasn't too worried about that. I, I, uh, I enjoyed uh, coaching them. I, I remember when the, when they were uh, 
you know, seven, eight years old, they were in hockey or, or uh, soccer or or, or when they started getting into football, uh, I felt, well, I, I have to be there anyway, so why not volunteer? Why <laughs> right. not help? You know, whether I was, you know, open and closing a door on the rink or, yeah. or whatever I was doing. So, uh, yeah, no, I never, I never th- saw it that way, like, as far as uh, worrying about what other parents thought, you know, because uh, there were other parents who were coaches as well. And it was actually uh, interesting. One of the, when I first started coaching minor football, uh, I, I, was, I joined a coaching staff, and then they all moved on the next year. That's when Craig was eight years old, I think. And they all moved on. And so the year, la- the year after, I was the only guy left. So I said, okay, well, I'll coach. Uh, but I had no other, no other coaches. So I just uh, found guys that I, you know, that either had coached hockey or that I said, hey, do you want to help out? And I taught them how to, what they needed to teach the kids, and away we went. So just got a bunch of dads. And kind of uh, the more guys he had, uh, you know, coaching together, the more fun it was. Uh, I'll, I'll start with you this time, Mark. Uh, I mean, obviously you've won. I mean, you're playing CAS football, so you're, you're a pretty good football player. Was that because you wanted to emulate your dad, or uh, you know, why did you sort of pick that as the one you were going to specialize in? Uh, yeah, it was always uh, it was always an inspiration to see the pictures around the house uh, of dad playing football. But uh, yeah, no, it was just all through sports growing up. It was all kind of chasing after kind of what my dad did in other sports and chasing whether that was in hockey or baseball basketball yeah whatever is just kind of emulating that hard work mentality and then football was just where it happened to pay off and and i'm glad it did you know it's got uh, good to be in that position what about for you craig yeah i think much the same and i think uh you know dad really laid the foundation for you know as a coach setting up uh you know a lot of things the kind of the foundation was set to play football to play hockey to do stuff like that and then it was you know up to me and mark to to kind of build on that and i think that we were able to do that did you like did you like when you're you're i mean i know he's on your coaching staff now but as we reference he doesn't actually coach your position but when he was younger and he was more directly your coach uh was it always good? Was, was it ever? Yeah. Was it ever like, oh man, I can't, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I was actually talking about this uh, at work with someone the other day, and 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 it is like I think, uh, like he said, you know, my dad found a great balance. I think between being a coach and being a dad, and when he needed to be a coach, he was a coach, and when he needed to be a dad, he was a dad. So I think that was a balance that he was able to strike quite well. Yeah. So was there times when uh, it was like? somebody at the dinner table had to be like okay we're not drawing up plays like enough we're a family now yeah, that's mom yeah, yeah that's she, mom. she's like okay guys <laughs> yeah actually though ah turn football you know we listen, we watch football all the time we talk about football all the time and it's it, i'm not exaggerating one bit when uh, when i say you know uh you know how mom was always kind of the the gatekeeper you know when it came to conversation about football. I, i'm not going to ask your dad this because i don't want to put him in that situation <laughs> but did one of you guys gravitate to the game or a little more a little more or or have more of an an inherent passion or understanding i mean and i'm not trying to diminish the other guy but sometimes there's one brother who might have a little bit more of the spark that the other guy follows or was it pretty pretty even for you guys um i don't know it seemed pretty even growing up like we both uh we both kind of pursued all kinds of sports and then yeah i don't know if there's really one of us that really uh was super gravitated to it as opposed to the other that wasn't but uh yeah i was glad that we both gravitated to it but yeah, I think it was just we both grew up playing all kinds of sports and both worked out playing football. Yeah. So Brent, they were playing for the U of A before you joined the coaching staff. That's right. Yeah. So um, for for you guys, I mean, your dad wasn't re- wasn't recruiting you. Maybe it was the other way around. Uh, but was it was it we want to go to the U of A because we l- already live in the Edmonton area? Was it we want to go to the U of A because 
our dad dad went there or you know was there lo- uh, looking at other schools what was that that what was that dynamic like it was a pro like i know uh you know i was recruited by a couple schools mark was re- recruited by a few more and uh you know it, it obviously played a factor that it was you know the school my dad went to and i had an uncle that played football with the bears as well terry um but you know i think uh you know close to home uh you know, I knew it. there was another guy from Spruce Grove on the team kind of talking with him and that type of thing. And I think just a combination of factors, really. But, of course, yeah, Dad was a dad was a part in that. How about that Ed Elnicki kid? I heard he's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> is he from yeah. Spruce Grove? Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, we grew up. I mean, we've played with him. We've played with him our whole way. Dad's coached him the whole way up. He's a good interview, too. we got to get him on Inside Sports again. <laughs> uh, is, he your, is, he, is he your most, I don't know how to put it, because I hate to say best player because there are so many different <laughs> – skill sets and and positions in, in football is he your most exciting player yeah i'd say he's uh he's definitely up there he's one of the most exciting guys to watch on the film i'd say for me at least as an offensive lineman watching a running back like that is always exciting to watch right so you like opening the hole and then yeah. watching him run away from everybody yeah yeah he makes me look pretty good sometimes he covers <laughs> my mistakes i'm sure up. i'm sure you've contributed <laughs> uh, to that as well all right we are in studio with the Cordy clan, Brent, Craig, and Mark. Great stories. They all share U of A Golden Bears football experience and passion. We'll keep rolling with this when we get back. This is Matt Hendricks from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. Tuning in tonight, 39-24, Cleveland leads Golden State. Nine and a half minutes left in the second quarter. Game six of the NBA Finals. Golden State trying to fight back. Cleveland just came out roaring in this one. Jose Bautista has left tonight's game for the Toronto Blue Jays. He uh, crashed into the wall in the seventh inning while trying to track down a fly ball. He's been replaced by Ryan Goins. Uh, The game itself, not close. 13-1. The Blue Jays leading the Phillies. Kevin uh, Kevin Pillar has homered twice. Reed Wilkins with you. Thanks for tuning in tonight. We've had Father's Day themed segments all week here on Inside Sports. And tonight our special guests in studio are Brent Corti. He's the defensive line coach with the U of A Golden Bears football team, a former Bears player, and his two sons, Craig, who just wrapped up four years as a linebacker, and Mark, who's going to be a third-year offensive lineman uh, in the fall. Guys, again, thanks a lot for coming in. Uh, I mean, I'm going to throw this one at you. Your dad went into coaching after playing. Do you guys ever think about that? Yeah, I think uh, it's something that's on my mind for sure. I know I've just kind of, especially since I've finished, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm graduating from the Faculty of Education at the U of A and hope to pursue a career in teaching. So alongside that, I hope to kind of continue, keep with the game, keep with football, and, and look into coaching myself. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's something through the volunteer opportunities we've had at the U of A, coaching a little bit here and there, it's something I definitely want to pursue down the road at some point when I'm done football, yeah. All right, which one of you would make the better coach? <laughs> oh, I would. I don't know. Age always has its perks, and, and wisdom's one of them. So <laughs> so, so, so you could jump in and, 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 and be a better coach for sure. Um, all right, so Craig, you're a linebacker. Mark, you're an offensive lineman. Do you guys ever have to butt heads a bit at practice? or I mean, I know they try to limit the physicality at practice <laughs> oh sometimes. But. In university, sure, but uh, yeah, high, high school was, was another story. Um, 
countless fights, countless just kind of scrapping in one-on-ones, scrapping in team time, all that type of stuff. I don't know. We, we were kind of at each other's throats. We've only played, prior to university, we only played two years together. One when we were uh, eight, ten years old and, and one in high school. So, so yeah. did you enjoy going up against each other in drills? Yeah, it's fun. It was uh, he kind of got me a little bit physically. He was two years older, so <laughs> at uh, 15 years old, it was a bit of a tough fight. But Brent, yeah, it was fun though. Brent, I got to ask you this, and, and unfortunately, this has become a bit of a common question I ask football and and hockey parents to some extent. But we know about the the, the concussion stuff. That's 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 such a big deal now, and even beyond that, I, I mean, foot, football involves hitting. You can't you can't escape it, right? I know you played the game, so you accept the, the physicality of it, and I'm sure you liked it, and I'm sure your sons like it, but as a parent, were you ever like, oh, man, I do I really want them doing this? Do I really want them pursuing this, doing it into their, their young adulthood, and, and the risk is, is out there? That's a great question. Um, I can't say it, it never crossed my mind through you know through the time the guys were playing, and and uh, not just uh, like for both uh, both my sons, but also the other kids I coached, whether it was in hockey, you know, concussions in hockey as well, or, or other injuries and in football. Um, I don't know, I, obviously, as you can imagine, I had a lot of parents would come to me with that exact same question too. So I had, the, even though I had the same thought, a lot of parents would come to me and they would, uh, they'd be concerned about it. And one of the things, I guess I always felt, it was another reason why I liked to coach, because I felt that I could, I could coach it well I could coach it right how you know to teach kids to be safe to make sure that they protect themselves that they put themselves in a in a safe position you know uh, sports are sports so you, even though you put yourself in a good position that doesn't always uh, it's not always perfect but I I, uh, I found uh, you know it, it is part of the game and there's so many is balancing off often you know the, the the all the things you learn from a sport, the life skills you learn from uh, football, from hockey, and so on. And of course, it, it is a concern as a parent. But it, in my mind, it was one of those ones, and certainly in discussion with the guys and with my wife too, that you know we felt that it wasn't seen as a risk. It was seen mm-hmm. more as you know here's the benefits, and this is something we we have to be mindful of and prepare them as best as possible. Yeah. Have you guys ever had a bad injury? I I escaped virtually injury free uh, good hockey football everything good yeah i had uh i had a concussion my first year at university but the staff was really good there we took care of it and uh it really was never a concern after that yeah all right so what about uh i mean brent you're it's been in the late 80s since you played but just from seeing you you still look like you're in pretty good shape and pretty athletic do you guys do you guys is there any like family lifting or training that happens together or, or who's the, who's the spark plug there uh, well, I'll, I'll take a shot at that because uh, anybody that knows me knows that that's I'm not that spark plug, and uh, uh, these guys are the active ones, and and uh, you know I might I, I cut the grass, I do the you know I, the dad I, I, stuff. You know, I, I do I, I do a little a few things that are active, but uh, we don't usually the, the, some of the things we do together are, are I think normal family things. We golf go golfing some sometimes yeah. together, things like that. That's oh a, wow, Craig's just activity. That's the spark activity. Walking eighteen <laughs> so. holes. It's been a cart lately, though. It's been a cart, yeah. So, yeah. I'm, I'm not the one out there saying, let's go run a 10K or a 2K. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the best golfer? Like, are uh, you, well, first of all, are you guys competitive among the the, th- the three of you? Or is it just like the two brothers? I, or is dad in with that too? Yeah, yeah, with yeah. dad too. Yeah, with dad, absolutely. Especially with golf, because that's something I think I can take a bit of a run of him at. <laughs> You know, I mean, a, a 2K run, I don't know if I'd have much trouble there, but a game of golf, he gives me, gives me a bit of a run. 
<laughs> well, you beat me once. Beat him once. Okay. All I think right. I was so golfing left-handed. But okay. Yeah. Um, Brett, what's been the most rewarding thing about about seeing your sons pursue football? Uh, just the, that they enjoy it. That they're I, I see how. Uh, how they enjoy uh, the how they've enjoyed sport all through their life and being active, uh, the friendships they they uh, they get out of it, and the, and uh, you know that they become well-rounded young men. You know, I, I do see that. That sounds pretty, you know, pretty uh, whatever the word is, airy fairy about it. But I think that I, just seeing them enjoy the sport, uh, exceed at it, or su- and succeed at it, and uh, and have fun. Yeah. And uh, Mark, I'll start. I'll start with you. What's been your your dad's biggest influence on your on your sporting career? Uh, I think it's uh, something to, something to chase for sure. Is kind of what he's achieved, and then he's just been an influence. in him being coaching is actually a great influence. You know, he just he's always there pushing me, in a good way, of course. But um, yeah, no, he's just always been a, a positive influence. Never been negative, and he's just always been a positive influence pushing me forward. Yeah, Craig, what about for you? Yeah, I agree with Mark as a coach. I think has been phenomenal and and uh kind of similar to what mark said always positive but at the same time realistic you know i don't think we were ever babied as players of his you know it wasn't uh you know he wasn't afraid to say hey you know you need to do this better you need to work on this but it was still done you know like i said earlier kind of you know he was a parent when he needed to be a parent and he was a coach when he needed to be a coach so i appreciated that all right so what's the plan for father's day you got him something nice yeah, actually, we got a golf tournament. We got a family golf tournament we're doing out. Oh wow! In the city here, yeah. So that's awesome. To that. And for you guys, um, all right. So you you got to finish, uh, Craig. You got to finish your education. No football for you. Right. I'm done in December. Yeah. You're so. done school in December. Done school. Yeah. Okay. And uh, but you're not. Are you going to play Bears or not? No, I'm. I'm. I'm not playing this. You're not playing. Yeah. You're not playing Bears. And uh, Mark, you're going into the third. So now you're the guy who's doing all the training. And Craig, you get to. You get the summer a little lighter load. You get to play golf with dad. You get to play golf with dad while Mark's while Mark's like yeah. doing punching the big side of beef in the basement like Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thanks a lot for uh, coming. But but Mark, seriously, your 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 schedule's out, right? So you start mm-hmm. late August already. Yeah, late August we'll start up with games going on. So uh, yeah, I think we. St- I'm not. I'm not sure who we start with actually. But, yeah, we, uh, we, we, UBC. Well, we started. Yeah, no, we start at UBC mm-hmm. uh, as a first. Oh, all they did last year was uh, didn't they win the national title? Yeah, no better, no better team to no start. No better team to go in there and knock them off. Exactly. All right, Brent Cordy, Craig Cordy, and Mark Cardy. Uh, thanks for sharing your uh, your story. Obviously, you got a great uh, great connection, and you guys have represented the U of A football team really well. Thanks for coming in tonight. Thanks, Reed. This is Inside Sports on six thirty. Chad, we got to take a quick break for the eight o'clock news. We'll keep you updated on the Blue Jays and the NBA Finals. Carter Hart, great story. Sherwood Park kid, Canadian Hockey League goaltender of the year. He's coming up. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.